So this is the For the Love of Film podcast. Uh, this is a For the Love of Mixtapes episode of that. And <laughs> this is the third one of those. And so if this is your first time hearing it, uh, basically what I do is, um, because as much as I love film, I love music even more. And I have been going through kind of my record collections, looking at artists that have been artists that have impacted me that I love and then reaching out to different people, people who I love, who also love these artists and kind of come up with a virtual mixtape. So, um, today I have with me, Mr. Todd Hunter. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is second time <coughs> podcasting with, with Todd, but first on this podcast, um, we did an episode of this is my truth. Tell me yours earlier this year, I think yeah. it all kind of, <clears throat> blends together um but we're back down in the uh the creative basement space here <laughs> uh, which this is a great space by the way I, thank I, you i wish i had room i'm you know i'm in a my, my whole apartment's about the size of of, of this room uh, <laughs> but it's fine it works for me but uh um so we're going to talk about nine inch nails today um you just you just saw them fairly recently I at did. the Wang center you did you go to the friday show or the saturday i went to the saturday okay. show my brother went to the friday show yeah um, yeah, it, it's, the funny thing is with seeing nine, and I can say this about nine inch nails only for me. Um, I've seen them six, seven, six or seven times. Mm-hmm. I've seen every tour since 2000. So whatever that is, okay. um, and, including the Ninja tour, which was by far the worst. Yeah. Nine um, Inch Nails, Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Street Suite or something. Yeah, the, the, yes, yeah, yeah. They they opened and it was just it was okay. I mean, it, Trent Trent doesn't work as well in large like outdoor arenas because he doesn't have as much control over the sound. Yeah, the last time I saw Nine Inch Nails, it was a co-headlining tour with Soundgarden, which. Uh, oh, that's right. I didn't see that one, so I did miss that one. They, and they and <clears> I and full disclosure and i love nine inch nails one of my first tattoos was the the end from broken on my leg but um i'm a i'm an even bigger soundgarden fan and but nine inch nails was far better than soundgarden at the particular show that i was at i mean part of it i was a little disappointed because uh matt cameron wasn't playing with soundgarden for that tour because Mm -hmm. he had previous commitments with pearl jam and it ended up being the last time that I saw Soundgarden because uh, obviously Chris Cornell's not with us anymore, and yeah. so it was a little doubly disappointing because the last time I saw Soundgarden wasn't really Soundgarden in my opinion because it wasn't like you know Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, uh, Kim Thiel, Ben Shepard, and Matt Cameron. So if it's someone filling in for one of one of them, it's not quite the, the same. Smashing Pumpkins effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. To me, the Smashing Pumpkins haven't been the Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> really since Melancholy and the uh, yeah, Sadness, which, you enough. know, that's 20 years ago. Um, but, uh, um, but Nine Inch Nails was great then. And I've seen uh, – I probably should have thought about this beforehand. But I've seen Nine Inch Nails probably five or six times. So we've least. seen them probably about the same amount. Yeah, I think I might have seen them more – or like I've I saw them more in the '90s than I have in the last you know 18 years. I think I've seen them twice in the last. Which yeah. is funny because I've seen them uh, more since 2000. I didn't see them in the '90s. Mm-hmm. I was actually a pretty late. I mean, I was into them, and I was listening to Spiral and all that in mm-hmm. the '90s. But I didn't really like get heavy into it until the Fragile. Okay. And uh, but seeing them live, they're the only 
possibly Massive Attack, but I've only seen them once, and I did get the tickets for their mezzanine tour. Um, and it's in the same, it's in the box center as well. Um, Nine Inch Nails, I will stand in line for eight and a half hours. Because, will and have. And have, because, not because I'm a rabid fan, it sounds like I am, but I mean, I don't, you know, I have, I think, most of the Halos, I think I've downloaded most of them. I'm not like a rabid, like, Trent person. It's just, I know that the live performance will always deliver. Mm-hmm. And I can't say that about anybody else that I've gone to see. Like, there's never a period of time when I'm watching a, ni- a live Nine Inch Nails show where my mind drifts, mm-hmm. <laughs> where I'm like, is this over yet? This is going on for a while. This seems, you know, this seems uh, um, kind of like just they're kind of going, going off, the going through the motions. He, They bring it every single time and i know in you get a sense from him how much he is not only um i mean he's a, obviously he's a genius but i mean not only is he a performer and a cornerstone of 90s uh music as well as possibly you could say one of the most important artists of the 20th century and certainly going into the 21st century um in terms of what he's changed but he's a fan he knows what he sits out there. You can tell he sits out there with the audience in his mind and goes, what would I want to see? Right. And a lot of artists don't do that. A lot of artists just get in their own heads. They're like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Everything he does, even all of his, you know, uh, forays into digital and everything. He's just always thinking about what can I do? For the fans. Mm. And I was so irritated about the whole like standing in line thing for eight mm. and a half hours. And it was the, the, we were the, uh, the second, we were the second most tweeted thing behind the royal wedding that day. Mm. And some of the tweets are hilarious. And we were <clears throat> in line, you know, and I was talking with the people I was in line with. And, you know, we all got to be kind of like friendly that day. You know, we were, you know, going to get food or saving our place in line, going to the bathroom. And after it was all done, when I walked out and I had those orchestra seats, mm. I went, motherfucker, he was right. We had an experience. He wa- He was like, he's not afraid to challenge you. Right. He's not, a, he says what's on his mind. He's phenomenal like that. But he's not afraid to challenge you both as a spectator, but also as a fan. Yeah. And go, okay, we're going to try something different. And this is why. And he said from the beginning, he goes, who knows? You may have a conversation with somebody instead right. of just sitting there hitting buttons. And I got to say, when I when I bought the tickets for Massive Attack, it wasn't as special as when I was standing in line for eight and a half hours getting those goddamn tickets. Yeah. I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd ever want to do it again. Right. But it was something. And it's something that you'll remember for the Forever. next 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was one of those crazy times. Yeah. And he delivered. The, the concert absolutely delivered. It was well worth it. Yeah. Um, he, he just, he's got a very theatrical way about him, but it's also a very genuine way about him. You know, he took a moment on stage where he was talking about how that night was the anniversary of pretty hate machine, mm-hmm. the release of pretty hate machine. And he goes, I don't follow shit like this. He goes, but, um, I can't believe that I'm alive and I'm standing here with all you people. Right. And, uh, and then he, he kind of, he kind of talked a little, went a little slightly political and he's like, I think the world is, you know, blowing up right now and everything he goes, but I kind of feel like, and he stumbled over his words a little, he goes, he goes, I feel like all of us kind of are in the same feeling of this right now. And he's very, um, 
he he's he's believe it or not i mean you get the sense that he's shy he doesn't know how to express himself oh yeah you know and as much as he just does these arenas and he's just he puts on these amazing multi-million dollar shows he's still that guy from cleveland living with his grandmother right you know who's just listening to bowie albums and just dreaming to get trying to do something you yeah. know and he's never lost that yeah he really hasn't he hasn't bought into his own bullshit yeah yeah. So that's a big part of why I like to see him live. I just, I find, I love, I love his genuineness. Nice. Um, that's a good, the, the Bowie connection is a good, good segue into my, my first song. Oh, and I, these are not really in order except for this first one. This first one's my very favorite nine inch nails song. Um, but I also suspected that I was like, uh, Todd might pick this one too. So I got to get it in beforehand. Which is, we had like seven, right? We could pick. Well, yeah. Well, what I so it's, it'll be five a piece. But if there's yeah, if there's overlap, that's why I always do a couple safeties <laughs> in case. Yeah. Um, although there's only been, I mean, this is only the third one of these I've done. But um, there's only one so far that someone picked, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to one of my safeties now. But uh, so Mick Garson, who was a who is a piano player, a accomplished piano player, has done a lot of work with with Bowie in the in the seventies. Uh, did the the just kind of crazy piano part in Just Like You Imagined, mm. which mm-hmm. is you know it's an instrumental. Uh, it's on uh, the Fragile, uh, but that was kind of like that was the song. I mean, it kind of for me encapsulates the entire record because that was the first record where you could really hear some of the electronics in Nine Inch Nails stripped away and hear acoustic instruments mixed in there. I mean, he used them on other stuff too, but you know, it was all electronic keyboards and distorted guitars were at the forefront. And cause there's a, there's this like, spiraling piano part in the middle of it where the song almost falls apart and it's just this piano mm-hmm. coming through and it's Mick Garson and I um you know he didn't tour with Nine Inch Nails but there's a couple he played a couple select shows where he just came out and did the piano part for that and then went off stage and you know he's an older guy um uh you know he's probably got 20 years on Trent Reznor or so mm. at least 20 to 30 years on some of the current band members in Nine Inch Nails but yeah it's a uh, and it's a very, it's also a very like theatrical, like, and I hate using the word epic because it's so overused these days, but it's a very epic song in three minutes and 45 seconds really takes you on a journey and there's mm-hmm. no lyrics to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's for me, like rock albums, instrumentals more often than not can be fillers. They're like, Oh, well we have eight songs for this record. Let's, let's throw an instrumental on there and, you know, you know, but it's really, it's, it's, I think it's one of his strongest compositions musically. Have you heard his ultimate like edition? Yeah. From the, the fragile deviations. Yeah. uh, Well, deviations, but also when he recently released or recently, Uh, the, uh, the final, okay. I should send, I'd be happy to, I have the, the files Mm -hmm. uh, because when I got the vinyl, they sent the files. Right. I would be happy to share that with you because he, 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 what I like to call it is like the fragile, the final cut, mm. like Blade Runner, the final cut. Um, he let the whole album breathe 
more. Like, mm. he didn't go back in and change everything, but parts were expanded, parts yeah, were parts were, were able to breathe more, and I, for a song like that, just like you imagine, I can't remember, I, I'm pretty sure that there's probably an extra maybe 45 seconds or so, mm. just to, because the way I compared the two is that Fragile in 99, it was, it was a result of, you know, he was in the throes of addiction, he was paralyzed with fear from the, from the uh, success of Downward Spiral, um, what the fuck are you going to do next? And then the album tanked. I mean, it didn't, it, it bombed. I mean, it let's face it. United it States. bombed in the United States. Um, and, uh, you know, and when you listen to it, when you compare it to what I like to call the final cut, <clears throat> it's got this very jittery, <clears throat> unsure element. Songs are cut sooner. Um, it, it has, it doesn't, he's not quite sure. You can tell he's not quite sure how to feel what to do with it, and it actually lends itself to the emotional feel of the album. Mm. So it works. But when you listen to the new version, um, I actually think it is the more complete vision yeah. of the fragile that he was understandably terrified to go down at the time and why he was stayed away from it for so long. Um, I would be very, I got to share that with you. Do, do you have like a Dropbox? Or I something? do have a Dropbox. I got to yeah. share those files with you because I would be fascinated. We, we should have a whole podcast about the fragile. Sure. Alone. I would be fascinated by what you think yeah. of, cause I'm sure you'll, I think you'll have some, probably some problems with it. Right. But it would be interesting just to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I cause I know we both adore that album very much. Yeah. So. Well, what's uh, what's what's your first pick? Well, I <laughs> did you write it down or did you just have I, it I didn't. I kind of went chronologically in my okay. head in terms of the album releases. I, I I figured that was the easiest way to go, and I kind of the way I did it was I, I I approached it from a different kind of a more simple angle in that what are the songs off each album that just immediately I just go to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I tried not to think too much about it because I could spend all day on it. Um, so I just, I, I think I started actually, I skipped Pretty Hate Machine and I went right into uh, Last from... Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 don't be sorry. Uh, That's like one of the most underappreciated songs isn't on that it? record. Yeah. yeah, and I don't pick it because it's underappreciated. I literally, went, when, when, when I saw Cabin in the Woods and they had it for the end credits, I think I stood up in the theater and I was like waving my hands. I was with Caitlin and Robin and everybody. And I'm like, oh my God, they're playing last. Um, but, you know, I remember when, Bur- I remember when uh, Broken was out and it was, you know, who, how else do you find out about albums except through girls you like? You know? right. And there was a girl I really liked heavily at the time and it was around 1992 when burnt when when uh, broken came out and she had i remember she had on her dresser a whole bunch of cds a whole bunch of alternative cds and she had that red cd and i'm like what the fuck is this and i remember i listened to it and it freaked me the fuck out it was so i didn't know what you even know what to do with it like i was like even downward spiral seemed more accessible you know and this was just so aggressive and just so scary, and yeah, just, just so thirty minutes of unrelenting just punishment. Yeah, and but I remember last always stuck out to me. You know, I, I just because of the relentless beat, maybe because it wasn't played as much as the other ones, but it also, I don't know, it just, it just, it 
for for uh, a very angsty teen into early twenties, you know, when you're pissed off at something, last seemed to just hit it. Right. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't a complicated song. You know, the other ones are a little more complicated. It was just, it was almost like metal. Yeah, you know, for sure. like like it was it was it was a just a very simple, powerful explosive song and I still love listening to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's my first one. It's funny too, because of the six, you know, the main songs, not counting the two hidden songs or on the, on the little CD, depending on how you got it. Um, uh, it's the only one they didn't make a video for. Yeah. Uh, and what's crazy about that, um, that of like any song in the world, that is my very favorite guitar solo on any song ever and it's it's really short yeah and Trent Reznor is not known for guitar solos I mean there's very few Nine Inch Nails songs on the albums that there's solos I mean you know Robin Fink plays some solos live but usually that's a a deviation from the album version to kind of give him a place to kind of showcase or whatnot but it's and it's um, I guess the way he recorded, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, a lot of the guitars were, you know, he put into the computer and then he would play them and then reverse it. So it was like some of the guitar parts on that album are like physically impossible to play. As, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I don't think I knew that at the time. It was just, just viscerally that just connected with me uh, yeah. that, I mean, I love the whole song, but that guitar soul is just like. A perfect guitar solo. Um, well, since since you were talking about uh, that's what kind of got you into Nine Inch Nails, I'll I'll go with my choice, and it's a very obvious choice, quite possibly the most obvious choice. And sometimes when I do these, and my buddy Matt, who I did the Alkaline Trio episode with, was like, "You're doing all hits, man." I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah," but, and and it really isn't for this this one for for this podcast, but I have to say. Um, head like a hole. Which it's great. I mean, it's pretty much the only song from from uh, Pretty Hate Machine that you, if you see Nine Inch Nails live now, yeah, that you can pretty much guarantee you're going to hear. Um, I mean, it's still thirty years later. You know, probably the song that is most associated with them. Maybe closer and hurt are are uh, you know second, but. Yeah. Um, but I remember, so I was, I was 16 at the time. This was 91 and, uh, we didn't have MTV at my house and our neighbor who lived in the house behind our house, you know, there was a fence between it, but I was house sitting one weekend. Um, I babysat for their kids, but they were away and they asked me to just basically go in, feed the cat and, uh, water the plants and, but they had MTV. So, and I watched, must have been 120 minutes. Mm. So in the same block, I saw Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time. Mm. Having And this was like, maybe not the first weekend, but like the second weekend MTV had ever played it. Sure. So I saw that, and I saw Jane's Addiction's Ben Caught Stealing, and then I saw the video for Head Like a Hole. And... So smells like Teen Spirit. It's a hell of a lineup. I had never, I had never heard anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Feels. I was like, what? Because you know, 
you know, people who are younger than us listening to this got to understand, like, everywhere at the time was yeah. hair metal. Yeah. It wasn't, it, you didn't hear this stuff on the radio. And one of the biggest impacts of my entire life was that era. Yeah. Like everything changed. The big, I mean, and so with Smells Like Teen Spirit, the, the visual that still sticks with me for the video is the cheerleader with the anarchy symbol yep. on her breast. And because I didn't even know what that symbol meant at the time, I had seen it on jackets of, you know, the bad kids at school. And I was like, what is this? And then the, you know, the Ben Cod stealing video, I was like, what the fuck mm. is this? I mean, I, you've seen that video. Of I'm course assuming. I have. Millions. And it's, and it's so funny because I love Jane's Addiction, too. And that's one of my least favorite Jane's Addiction songs. But that was the first time I had heard Jane's Addiction. And I was like, what is this? Who is this weird band that's playing in a grocery store? And there's this <laughs> man dressed as a woman stealing produce. And then the had like a whole video... I was like, these are clearly all murderers that have guitars in their hands. Uh, and then at the end where they're all wrapped in in uh, magnetic tape and pulled up into the ceiling, I was like, I had the same effect seeing that that I did a couple months later seeing the movie Hardware. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, this is like, I was like, I think something happened to this band. Like, I, I was concerned. Yeah. It, it terrified me, but it also fascinated me. I and I was like, yeah. I was like, I don't even know what had like a whole means that phrase. Uh, and still to this day, I'm like, yeah, I, I know what it means, but I, I really don't know what that means, but it's such a, I mean, it's such an anthem. Um, and it's, and it's weird too, because there's so many versions of it. Like the version that is on pretty hate machine leads right into the next song yep. where they used a different version for the video and there's a bunch of remixes. And that was also like when I got the, cause I got pretty hate machine and I was like, Oh, it's like this weird thing that leads into the next one. Yep. Uh, and that was also sort of my first experience with, Oh, there can be multiple versions of yeah. a song that an artist does. Like, you know, obviously Trent Reznor is very famous for, you know, both having remix, like doing remixes and, revisiting versions of his song and also handing it over to other artists to reinterpret his songs. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's just a fucking great song. Yeah. No, I, I like how also, and that's a nice segue into my next song. Um, I like how you mentioned that you, you, it's obviously it was like a bunch of murderers that found a bunch of guitars. I think people forget you know, now with how mainstream, mainstream, I put that in quotes because I mean, Trent's never been particularly mainstream. Right. I mean, I still talk to people now who couldn't, couldn't name they know Nine Inch Nails. They couldn't name a Nine Inch Nails song other than Closer off the top of their head mm. if they ask, but they just know it. You know, they're not exactly a hits band. Um, but I remember in, in the late '90s um, and, and the early 2000s, just how that first run of um, albums from Pretty Hate Machine to Broken to Downward Spiral, and that they were actually it was how terrifying genuinely terrifying and dangerous they seemed sure. like they were absolutely something you didn't play with your parents around mm. like like you know Marilyn Manson was funny you know right. that's why and you know that it was a kind of a, a goof sort of thing it was he's kind Alice of, Cooper he's Alice Cooper but right. you know between the between the between the uh you know the broken movie that even Trent was like yeah I'm not releasing this too right you know just the S&M elements of the earlier stuff and just it wasn't an act it was actually him. You know what I mean? It was what he, he was, that was purely from his heart. And that's what made it such dangerous, scary, 
music. My girlfriend at the time was like, would freak out if I would put on Downward Spiral. She's like, it sounds like evil music. Right. And I'm like, I know. Uh, <laughs> but but um, that brings me into the next song for me, which is uh, off of Downward Spiral um, called The Becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole album, I love that album. But the thing is with that song, it's separated into two parts. Um, again, impossible to play live, and they sort of did an acoustic version of it for um, uh, still. Mm. Um, but what I love about the becoming is that the first half of it has a very electronic, you know, um, I almost say classic nails feel to it. But then the second part of it, and he came close to capturing this on Vessel on um, Year Zero, but it descends into such a cacophony of noise and chaos. And I would venture to say mental illness mm-hmm. that if you listen to that on headphones in a dark room, it's terrifying yeah. still to this day. Um, that to me summed up downward spiral more than any of the other parts of the right. album, that cacophony of noise that just, it's so sudden and just so, and, but yet it's still, you can hear music in there. Mm. Like you can actually hear the beats. You can actually hear everything, but it's so, it's such a terrifying descent into depression, mental illness and him repeating over and over again, God damn this noise inside my head. Mm. You know, it, it's, you know, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it, it, it makes you realize the power of his music that you, it's not about lyrics. It's about, he really got into his head mm-hmm. and into the scariest parts of his head. And the, not only that, but you can identify that outside and feel like he's actually like talking to you. Yeah. You know, you know, he's not, but that's how you identify with music. So the becoming is strangely enough, a uh, one for me as well, because it captures the, the scariest parts of Nine Inch Nails, but also um, just the absolute pain of the guy. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, that's two. Well, that's a, a <laughs> it's actually volleying back to my next song, which is, <coughs> it's, um, it's a weird, it, it, it certainly reflects that, <clears throat> that pain. Yeah. I mean, the first two lines of the song of, our, this world rejects me. This world threw me away. Yeah, yeah. Which is burn from. Oh, see, now you just took one of mine. There you go. Now you're gonna go into this. this is good though. Yeah. I want to hear this. But I mean, it's you know, <laughs> so it's from the Natural Born Killer soundtrack. So good. And part of me, like, I mean, because that's one of the most aggressive songs in, uh, and it's a slow build too because it's, you know, it's more minimalist, uh, you know, uh, sound wise at the beginning and yeah. then. There's there's an eventual release, again great great solo at the end of that that song. Um, but part of me almost felt like I go back and forth with this song, feeling like okay, was he trying to intentionally write a song from the perspective of Mickey and Mallory Knox? And you know I have a sort of a contentious relationship with the film Natural Born Killers. Who doesn't? I mean, I, I loved it in 94 sure. when I was, you know, 18 and 19 years old. Um, I mean, I can't even watch it anymore, but that's sort of like, I mean, and I think you have, I think you have a better appreciation of Oliver Stone than I do. I do. Uh, um, I still have problems with him though. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's a whole sure. other podcast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, and I didn't even know until, 
he released the closure home video that he had made a video for Burn because yeah. I never saw it. It was um, on the laser disc for um, Natural Born uh, Killers, Natural Killers. Spe- the, spe- the special edition, which I have. That was the only place you could find it. Right. Due to yeah. rights issues. Yeah, it was never on any of the DVDs nope. or whatnot. Like, and, and, and that's always a weird thing when bands do songs for movies that then do a video that's somewhat tied to it. Although I don't think there's any scenes from Natural Born Killers in the video. I don't remember. Uh, there's some of the, the, yeah, no, there's a couple of clips, uh, the, when, when, uh, Mickey's having his, uh, nightmare of, as being a kid. Oh, right, right, The, right. the black and white yeah. stuff is in there a little bit, in the background, and some of, uh, Julia Lewis dancing. I mean, the only video that I remember that was specifically from a movie that's still, like, uh, it looks like it's from the movie, but when you rewatch it, there's actually no footage from the movie is, uh, Alice in Chains would which is from the Seattle yep. soundtrack. But it's all stuff that was like shot around Seattle. And and to be fair, it doesn't actually look like the movie singles. It looks like the marketing campaign for singles. Um, you know, a lot of monochromatic photos and stuff like that. But, yep. um, yeah. Uh, and that was... And, and I, I really could have picked... Uh, I could have picked any of the three Nine Inch Nails contributions to that soundtrack. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love the version of... Something I could never have yeah. on that more than the version. I agree. On. And I agree even a that. warm place where it's not significantly different than the version on a downward spiral, it's such a segue from. And if anyone's listening to this has never heard the Natural Born Killer soundtrack, it was, to, to my knowledge, was really the first album of its kind that it wasn't. Well, here's the 15 songs that were in the movie. It was, it's, an experience. it's an experience all in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was a little disappointed that when, because it was the first soundtrack album <coughs> that, well, technically the second, because he did the Quake soundtrack, the video game <laughs> uh, before that, but it was really the first thing that Trent Reznor did. So a few years later when he did Lost Highway, it wasn't quite as immersive as that. So I was yeah. a little disappointed, you know, but it, it it's a pastiche of, Songs and some of them have been wildly remixed, cut down, reassembled with other songs, and it you it's really one of those things you have to listen to all the way through the whole album. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because "Burn" is one of the few songs that there's a break, there's yep. a clean break before, and there's a clean break after. Um, that and the the Dr. Dre song at the end right kind now. of take you out of it, but uh, but yeah, go, going from warm place into uh, what was a Nusrat Fali Ali Khan. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who does that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> a Diamanda Galas and uh, Jane's Addiction thrown together. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, it's a hell of a yeah, journey. Yeah. Um, I, I put a spell on you, mixed with Ted. Just admit it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. But yeah, Burn sort of uh, to me is Nine Inch Nails at like the peak of anger and aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, that goes to. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. Actually, I'm going to cheat a couple times. But um, this is my third song. But it's a combination of the two because I can't separate them. And I think that's interesting that you talk about how you've mentioned a couple times how songs segue into the next one and mm. how it's difficult to separate them. And I think it's important to bring that into this. But um, it's the combination of, uh, especially on the new version, uh, La Mer and The Great Below. Sure. Um, that was going back to what you were saying about hearing um, 
acoustic instruments for the first time or non-electronic, let's say. Uh, the piano. And I love uh, Debussy. I mean, he's a huge uh, Claude Debussy fan. And mm-hmm. you could hear that in La Mer. Um, and the, and the uh, extended version is even longer. Um, and what I love about it is that I remember I would, when I was younger, I would walk in Portsmouth. I was 24, 25 when the album came out. And I remember I would walk in Prescott Park and it was the old Portsmouth, you know, the, not, not the, not the, not the Candyland Portsmouth that it is now, <laughs> but like the, you know, the grit Portsmouth. Um, and I remember I walking on Pres- Prescott Park and, uh, and I would look out over the, um, to where the, the, um, uh, shipyard was and over the the old bridge and everything. And I would yeah. listen to that song in my headphones. And I, and I, I remember one time I saw one of the lyrics to the great below scrawled on, uh, the end of the dock. I don't think it's there anymore. Mm. Um, it, it was scrawled. I can still feel you. And that connected with that song for me and the feeling of the waves and yeah. how he would just keep drifting lower. It, to me, it's a very much, a uh, 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 almost a suicide song, you know, um, you know, just the, the, the lull of the La Mer and the music and the waves and the music. And then it goes into the great below and then how it just dissipates at the end and you can feel the waves and it's like, kind of just like letting yourself drop further and further. And I just remember it. It was, again, it was a, an emotional piece in a different way. You know, it wasn't this aggressive sort of like, it was in a very much, that's why I love how it ends on left, the the album, the side left, because it's very much a turning point as to whether, you know, because I felt like Fragile was very much like if if Downward Spiral was the anger album, the Fragile was the confusion album, the where where do I go from here album. And uh, that part in the center had this very, do I continue on or do I just snuff it? You know, and uh, and that's why I love how if you go into right, mm. um, it builds up slowly as he comes back roaring. You know, with the with the rage for the first half of that album. But I, I just find Lemare and um, the Great Below just very uh, beautiful um, in in its uh, peacefulness and yeah. its uh, embracing of depression and all of that um it, it it every time i listen to it i definitely get a bit of a tear in my eye mm. you know it's beautiful um and uh yeah that's where that's where i'm at with that one so, nice yeah um <coughs> my next song also from the fragile uh, i mean it's funny because i could have picked right five favorite songs i know fragile record. is difficult <laughs> and this one this one also <coughs> sort of a sort of a hit i guess um it was the it was actually the second single released off of, but it's interesting because um, the uh, the day it's not the day the world went away, but uh, which was the first single from it, which was very interesting to me because yeah. I really liked the quieter version of the day that wor- world went away, which was the B side of it. Yeah. Um, but that was an interesting song to release as the first single, wasn't it? Because it? it's sort of a non. So I mean, it is a song, but it's it's I don't know. Like, yeah, I remember when I got the CD single and it had the plant on the front, and I'm just yeah. like, "What the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is he doing?" <laughs> and it, to me, it felt a little bit like the quieter parts of March of the Pigs, but without the release of the chaotic parts of March of the Pigs. And I was like, "Oh, he's doing something different." So I guess it was you know, tellingly a good first single to kind of prepare 
people for the album, Fragile. But sure. the second single was We're In This Together, oh, yeah, right. which it's interesting because it's a very bombastic song, but it's, to me, I read it, it like, I heard it as the first Nine Inch Nails song that really had hope in it. Yeah, it did. Um, and it was, even though, you know... Great video, too. Oh, fantastic video. Um, I mean, just, I mean, it, it may seem super obvious just by the title, but it, it it's a very unifying song. Yeah. Uh, and it's, okay, I, I'm fucked up, but that's okay. I'm not the only one who's fucked up yeah. and, and we can, we could get through this. Um, you know, and that's how <laughs> I think of, I think of Jasmine with that song. Actually, yeah. When I hear it, nice. I, I, it's a, a lot of it, not to no, no, just, no. just as a connection. It, it, I listened to that song recently with a lot of the, uh, trauma that Jasmine and I had to go through together as a couple. Yeah. And, uh, the song made a lot more sense to me now than when I was 25. Yeah. That for ferocious, sure. um, we're in this together, you yeah. know, it's so, yeah, but continue. No, and I've, I've had, uh, you know, I have a very close friend who, uh, her and I have gone through similar, uh, you know, familial difficulties and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And every once in a while when we're cut, cause uh, she lives out in California now, but we'll, uh, did yeah. you ever talk about her recently on Facebook? Did you mention her, or was that somebody else? Uh, that was somebody else. Was, I, I have another. Yeah, 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 I have another. I thought that was Janet. a beautiful post. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. Um, yeah. And that was <laughs> something that I wanted to uh, uh, just to you know diverge for a second because I've been doing this days of Thanksgiving, which is not uncommon at, at you know in November. Uh, yeah. I, I had actually seen a bunch of people doing it, and I was like, well, I do like the idea of this. And this is not to shit on anyone else, but it's all, all the friends that I see do it. And I think they're being very genuine, but they're very sort of generic. I'm I'm thankful for the people who do this, who do this. And I'm just like, well, if I'm going to show gratitude, I want to name the people. And like, because I think people really don't think about how much gratitude genuine gratitude means to someone mm-hmm. when you show someone that you're grateful to them and actually, you know, voice it. And I was like, and, and it's something that I try and do in my everyday life anyways, to mm-hmm. let people, the people I care about know about them. But I was like, well, it's Thanksgiving. Um, which like, I don't, I don't know. Like if I'm going to do the gesture, I don't want it to be a hollow for myself. So I, I was like, I'm going to do, cause I, and I actually looked at the calendar. I was like, I'm going to do this till the end of the year. Cause why do I need just November? Cause I didn't start till mid November, but I was like, Oh, that'll give me 50 people to, to yeah. go through. And I haven't like made a list or anything. It's every day. I'm like, all right, who's someone who has an impact on my life that, uh, I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and the person that I'm talking about right now is certainly someone that's on there. And it's weird because for a little while, cause she's not on social media and a couple people that I've, I've mentioned on there are not on social media or are on Instagram, but on Facebook or Facebook, but not Instagram. And I was like, okay, do I include them if they're not going to see it? And I was just like, no, because then that, or, or no, I'm not, not going to include them. Okay. Yes, I am going to include them sure, because yeah. I'm grateful for them. And it, you know, it's more me kind of humbling myself and it, you know, not to giving gratitude is humbling, but, um, you know, I've had some people in recent years who have, you know, sort of 
given me good natured or not so good naturedly a hard time for wearing my heart on my sleeve. And I'm just like, well, I spent, you know, most of my twenties and thirties trying to be someone I wasn't mm-hmm. and it's fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also, you know, when you, when you are your true self, yeah, you might lose some friends, but you're going to draw in more people who appreciate you for who you genuinely are. Yeah. So, and also if you lose those people, fuck them. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't real anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and life's too short. Like yeah. the, the amount of free time that I have these days it's it's not enough to waste it on people who it's not worth spending time with. Exactly. But anyway, getting back to my friend who um, very close with, I mean, we talk, we text almost every day. And oftentimes when one or the other is going through something that seems insurmountable to that person and feels very alone, the other person will just, in the midst of the conversation, be like, hey, we're in this together. She's also a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much my thought on. I like that. that. Um, well, uh, I think I'm on what number four. four. Yeah. Um, and I had I had to get really uh, I had to get really like getting stuff down, cut to the bone here. Mm-hmm. So it's not I wouldn't exactly say my five are like the best encompassing mixtape of For Nine sure. Inch Nails, but um, number four, uh, I actually. I'm going to jump forward a little bit, and then I'm going to bounce back again. Um, but I'm going to jump forward to uh, the hand that feeds. Okay. Um, I people give that song a lot of shit. I remember when it came out. Really? Yeah, I remember when it came out because it had been five years. It had been the longest stretch mm-hmm. um, in between albums, and I remember when that album was coming out, and I was like, you know, back in the the salad days of uh, early 2000s um, internet, you know, you were just like any little thing about Nine Inch Nails, you know, if there was even a blip on the NIN.com website, you were like, oh my God, you know, and I remember when that album uh, was taken forever to come out and originally it was called Bleed Through and I remember the original art for it too and it they completely jettisoned it. Um, and when it was called With Teeth and this was the first track and I remember that they were like, okay, we're going to release this. It was on, uh, I think, which radio station it was out of Boston. I can't BCN. BCN. Uh, they were going to release it at like 10 o'clock at night. And I remember we were at a club and we were timing it so that we could listen to it when we came out. And I remember when I was listening to it, I was like, this is great. And I remember I was with a friend who was also a big nine inch nails fan. And she was listening to it. And she was like, I don't really like this. And, and immediately that's when we saw the divergence mm. starred in the latter days, nine inch nails. And, um, and it's funny because I find with teeth, um, just a, a, in general, um, millennials like with teeth quite a bit. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's because I don't know why, uh, like Tomer loves with in with teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, th- I think part of it is, is goes back to what you were saying before about he brought in a lot more acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Dave Grohl on drums. He was experimenting with a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, and that was when, right before he went out on tour for like five years to get all the money back that his manager had stolen from mm-hmm. him. Um, <clears throat> and he was freshly sober <clears throat> and everything. And then he, um, well, with the hand that feeds, it still resonates to me to this day. I think it's a great, tight song. Um, I love the video. Mm. Um, I love the messages behind it as in, you know, will you bite the hand that feeds? Because we do live in a society that tells you, even if you think you're the most progressive, uh, rebel person in the world, you still have to 
walk, lock, and step with this belief. And if you deviate, we're going to come down on you. Mm-hmm. Like on social media, you know, if you present what are the inevitable nuances of issues and gray area, um, you know, you get told sit down and, and shut up. Um, I've certainly been told to sit down and shut up a lot. Right. Um, and I don't. And um, I I will bite the hand that feeds me, you know, like, because at the end of the day, um, what's the worth that you're of that hand if it's just going to keep you down on your knees? And that's right. why I love the lyrics of that song. You know, I listen to that song when, you know, I'm having my moments where I just feel like, you know, it's interesting between that and the movie, the insider I've, I've, you know, I've pulled a lot of strength from in terms of having to deal with a lot of uh, local political bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it is bullshit. Um, and so that's Michael Mann, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's the best movie. Um, and, and, and I think it is important to, uh, to bite the hand that feeds. You do have to, you can't be constantly on your, like, as he says, you can't constantly be on your knees all the time, mm-hmm. thanking everybody for everything. You know, eventually you have to, that, that dogs do that. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're not treating the dog, right, it communicates with you that you're not doing something right, you know, and you have to do that with anything. You can't just completely be subservient all the time. Even, even with so-called leaders that say they have their best interests in heart for you, they don't. I mean, nobody has their best interests for you other than you. Yeah. You know, there are people that you can align with for certain times and there are people that, ultimately end up being your, your enemies because the, you know, you, you just diverge and, and that's okay. You know what I mean? Um, but I, and I, I think for, for me, that song sums up also a lot about Trent and that he worked very hard to get away from having to rely on anybody. You know, he's his own industry. Mm -hmm. He's his own entity. You know, he's, he's, he bit all the hands that fed him mm-hmm. and he created his own monster and, and he's very successful at it because yeah. he does his own thing. Um, so it's an inspirational song for me too. Yeah. Um, but I think people going back to the diverge, I think it's, uh, I think almost the beat is a little too catchy for the hardcore nine inch nails. I remember, I remember people were like, it almost sounds like it should be playing, you know, on a jazzercise tape or something. Right. You know, so, but whatever. It's funny because that song for me is forever linked. And I don't mean this in a bad way, um, but it's forever linked with the first single from the next album, Year Zero, which is Survivalism. Yeah. To me, Survivalism (coughs) sounds like someone took the hand that feeds, the beat for the hand that feeds (laughs) and turned it to 1.5 times. And it's just because it's just like, this frenetic energy, but it's a similar energy. Um, You're not wrong. Um, and it's also, it's sort of lyrically about um, the follow-up to the hand that feeds, you know, about having survivalism. I mean, I know Year Zero is a concept album, a little different for him, but they, to me, I've always like, like when someone will mention one of the songs, I'm like, wait, which one, which album is that? song from because like i've got yeah. this so well connected um and i was actually going between survivalism and the hand that feeds that's why it's funny that you yeah. say that yeah. so yeah i know i can completely identify yeah. with that so uh, i'm trying to think of which of these to pick for my last song because i like both of them that's rough right? uh, and they were both my safeties so <laughs> um because i could go with a song from with teeth but uh, i'm i'm i 
so my my runner up would then be all the love in the world, but um, mm-hmm. I I'm just I'm gonna have to go with the other one only because it's something that has lived with me longer and also because I haven't picked a song from the downward spiral yet. So, <laughs> and it's reptile, oh, yeah. um, which is, you know, it's later in the album. Uh, it's, it's weird. Cause I bought the downward spiral on CD, uh, from sessions, uh, at, in Portsmouth, which is now, oh. I don't even know what. Now that whole area, that whole thing has gotten knocked down. That, that, the whole I, I think where sessions was, is now the little pass through by the church. Yes. Um, but and it's funny because I, I, I did um, the Black Friday, Record Store Day Black Friday yesterday, and I ran into Craig there, uh, uh, which I can't remember his last name now, but Craig worked at Sessions for years, okay. and he worked at the health food store, and he's the guy who got me into Nine Inch Nails, because um, uh, I even mentioned to him, I was like, I'm actually doing a Nine Inch Nails podcast tomorrow, he's like, Oh, so you're doing a podcast. Like, it wasn't like, he's just like, yeah, everyone in the world does podcasts now. But yeah. I, I was like, I was like, you got me into Nine Inch Nails. He's like, sorry, man. Because <laughs> like, I, I could tell. That, and he was like very like into like this mortal coil and a yeah. lot of stuff like that and can. And, but he's like, you got to check these guys out. I mean, I used to, he was the one who like turned me on to like import singles and yeah. and all that stuff way back when, uh, you know, when the CDs were in the, the long plastic, you know, security things. But uh, Reptile for me, like, it was interesting because I, I bought the CD, but I also had my first car like a year later. Mm-hmm. So I bought the cassette as well. And the Downward Spiral was the first album that I owned on both CD and cassette. And where obviously with a CD, it's just one continuous listen with a cassette. You got to flip it over. And yeah. it's it's interesting because there's 15 songs on the album or 14 <coughs> songs on the album. But side one of the cassette has nine songs on it, and then there's only five on the other side. Uh, but, I mean, time-wise, it kind of works out the same because the songs are longer. And, I mean, I think Reptile's the longest song on the Downward Spiral. It's like six minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very, like, to me, it encompasses everything from, like, what I consider, like, phase one of Nine Inch Nails' career sure. as far as, like, the driving you know, industrial beat, um, you know, the intermittent, you know, distorted guitars, the, um, you know, I think that was the first time I had ever heard the word whore used in a, <laughs> which, you know, in today's climate, uh, it might be looked at differently, although it's not necessarily used in a pejorative way in that song. No. Um, and he says, you know, oh, oh, my beautiful liar, oh, my precious whore, uh, my disease, my infection, you yeah. are so impure. And, but it was really kind of, embracing the ugly underbelly side of life, which very much was part of nine inch nails circa Mm -hmm. 1994. Um, so that's, you know, it's not necessarily the best nine inch nails song, but for me, it's a great encapsulation of that time period. My, uh, memory of that song is very specific. Um, I used to go to Man Ray in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Did you ever used to go to that club? And Reptile was a um, regular song that was played mm. in the main room. And I remember that that it, it, it the best parts of Man Ray was when it was like super, super, super like 1, 8, 12 o'clock in the morning, mm. late night, and all the freaks were there. And I say that with love. Um, 
and I remember Reptile would be played, and we they would the the girls with the uh, electrical tape over their nipples would be in very little else, right? Would be dancing to that, you know, covered in like soot and grime and all that kind of stuff. And it was in such a you could never see a club like that now, mm. at least not in the mainstream, right? You know, and I remember that that when that grinding beat in that club with everybody dancing and those women and everything, it was very kind of like subterranean, mm. like uh, the the levels of like kink and hell and all that kind of stuff. So whenever I hear reptile and he played it at the, at the recent concert mm. and I always remember those days, you yeah. know, I remember the movement of the women with that song. And I thought it worked, especially with those lyrics that we're talking about, because it is a very, uh, in its own way, a very sensuous song. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, now I could say why you would pick that one. <laughs> My final one, <clears throat> there's a lot I could go with, and I was kind of between two different ones, but I ended up, I ended up just going with um, uh, Perfect Drug um, because of a number of reasons. One, because it's probably the finest single Sure. They ever he ever released um, it, it? It was impossible. He never played it live, and to finally see it live, yeah, he played it on this tour, right? For the he first did. time, did, and you got to see. I just recorded the whole thing, like I recorded it on my iPhone, and I recorded the drummer playing it all live. And I'm like, my God, the guy, the guy must dislocate his shoulder playing that. Um, it's such a bizarre. Still, still in Rubens. That's playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Sorry, he bro. he just has to he has to go off and put some ice on his shoulder. But I mean, it's it's such a bizarre single. Like it's it's you literally it could be cut into like three different parts. Mm. You know, you have the build up, you have the whole centerpiece, especially with the drum, and then you have the um, ambient fade out at the yeah. end. Um, and I remember the video. My uh, Mark Romanic was so weird, and it had you know Trent in his full on Mephisto phase, you yeah. know, and uh, with the sword, very like and, Victorian look to it. Yeah, yeah, and it was just, it was like, it was at such a bizarre time because it was like it was between Downward Spiral and Fragile, mm-hmm. and it was in that moment where you were just like, what is he? What's he going to do next? Like I remember my friend Matt Kingsbury, he would be working at um, uh, Record Town or Tape World or something in the in the mall. I think it was Record Town. And uh, people would come in going, oh, where's the new Nine Inch Nails single? And he's like, well, it's not, you have, the people would get the, they'd the get that season. five song thing that the <laughs> that original one was not on it. it. It was like, no, you have to get the Lost Highway soundtrack. Yeah. And they're like, well, what the fuck? And I'm like, <laughs> but um, I, I, that to me, being able to see that live show just once again, his um, creativity, his uh his innovation, like who the hell does drum solos? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and just, it's just a song that whenever it comes on, I will listen to it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Like if it comes on, you know, my old iPod or if it pops up on um, Spotify or if I'm listening, of course, to the, the Lost Highway soundtrack, it's never, ever a Nine Inch Nails track I skip. Yeah. And I can't say that about a, a lot of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Depending on my mood. I'm not like one that's like, well, as soon as I start listening to this album, like I've always tried to be like a, I've tried to do this whole, I'm going to listen to every single Nine Inch Nails album in chronological order. And I don't think I usually get past uh, Broken. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I suddenly just want to listen to something else or skip ahead or right. whatever. But there's something about that track that just, it's so well done. Mm-hmm. 
And even in the midst of his addiction and his uncertainty, the fact that he could just push that out yeah. is just, uh, it, it, it's a testament to his genius for me. So. I love the, um, the opening notes of it, which is a, a hand strummed violin mm-hmm. with a felt pick. And it's just like, and in, in the video where he's got the, the <coughs> three guys who were touring with him at the time, it's, I think it's Chris Brenna, Danny Loner and yeah. Charlie Klauser, um, which sadly, none of them are playing with him anymore. But I mean, that, <laughs> that's sort of par for the course with, you know, playing live with Trent Reznor. Is, Other know, than Robin, Robin Fink will be there forever. Right. Although I don't, yeah, I don't think Rob, I don't think Robin was quite in the. I think Robin. Robin had taken had, a break on that. Yeah, because he played with him on the Downward Spiral tour. I mean, he's. It's interesting. He's come and gone through Nine Inch Nails like several times, but yeah. I, and it never seemed like a, you know, any animosity between. I mean, you know, Chris Vrenna and and Trent Reznor had some animosity towards the end. Well, I think Trent Reznor had animosity towards. Uh, Chris Brenna a lot. Uh, maybe not genuine animosity, but he took out physical animosity on him on stage, and it took its toll on oh, Chris yeah. Brenna after a while. It's funny because Chris Brenna plays in Marilyn Manson's band now. Yeah. Uh, but, um, oh, yeah, no, he would throw like mic stands and like, yeah. clock him in the head and yeah. shit. It was yeah, I, not cool. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> from remembering it correctly, I'm pretty sure he fractured his skull at one point. Not intentionally, but he ended up hitting him with a cymbal. Uh, and you know, I, I know he had to go to the hospital several times and it was just sort of like, yeah, I felt bad, but you know, it's, it's a show. It's he was happened. playing drums with the, with, uh, yeah, the, his the, head was bleeding. It was bleeding. I yeah. seen the footage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Fink, I think he, I think Fink has always been, Fink has always been just a, a really reliable, amazing guitar player. I mean, mm. he was, he was on the tour recently. I mean, I saw, we saw him jazz has a huge crush on Robin Fink. I think she goes to see nine Nails for Robin Fink more than anything else. But, <laughs> but no, he's just, he's always been, I don't know. He's always just kind of seemed no bullshit, you know? Right. I think he's just a very accomplished artist. I think, I think he's very, it sounds very professional. Well, and he grew up, he grew up in the circus. So, uh, cause he used to be a circus acrobat. Oh no shit. I didn't um, even know that. And I think if you live that sort of life, you sort of like weed out the the bullshit with people very early on. Like if you're walking amongst quote unquote the regular people, you know, you figure <laughs> out very quickly who you can hang with and who you yeah. can't. So, um, and I think, and his wife, uh, I think was a trapeze artist. No so shit. it's like, he's a, he's a weird and very interesting dude. He seems yeah. like, and, I mean, he's, and he's very bizarre looking too. I mean, he's, he's very tall and lanky. I mean, I think he's like six foot six he's or something like that. Big. And he often does interesting stuff with his hair. I mean, I still remember him from the the Downward Spiral Tour where he had the shaved sides and then the long like yeah. sideburns, which I I that look I saw a lot on punk rock girls in the nineties, but never a guy yeah. doing it. Um yeah. I, I just remember because I saw them at Woodstock ninety four, uh sure. you know, the Mudstock performance, which is funny because being there at the show, I thought it was amazing. And I've now heard recordings of that set, and they sounded terrible. He hates that, yeah. that recording. Yeah, um, he but he, I mean, it, but he was very upfront about the fact that he's like, we did it to pay for the entire Downward Spiral tour. Like right. what they paid us for that, 
paid for the production of the, the rest of the tour. So, which is funny because also weren't weren't they? If I remember correctly, they were the ones that kind of embraced the whole mud stock element. Oh, of for sure. It. Well, they came on stage covered in mud. Yeah, yeah. And like, ev- then everybody started like rolling around in the mud and everything. Yeah. So they kind of brought that whole sloppy intensity. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I remember you know seeing on the screen, you know, close up of Robin's guitar and. You know the pickups are covered in mud. I'm like, how is that even? Wor-? I'm like, how is that even working? You oh, yeah. know, at this point, but you know, and then, you know, they destroyed all their instruments at the end of the set. But yeah, um, that wasn't that wasn't my first time seeing. It was one of the most memorable. I mean, since we started with you talking about your most recent one, I, I guess to, to kind of bring this to a close, my my favorite Nine Inch Nails show that I saw was on the Fragile Tour, uh, down in, I'll say it was Fitchburg, Mass., maybe. Okay. But A Perfect Circle was opening for them. And it was before A Perfect Circle had released a single stitch of music. Sure. Um, and I just knew it was Maynard James Keenan's new project and was looking forward to it, being a huge Tool fan, but not, not knowing what to expect. And then A Perfect Circle being very different than what I expected – but loving it even more kind of because it, it wasn't like tool. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and just more, more symphonic. Yeah. And also I kind of look at it as a very like yin and yang masculine versus feminine side of his creative personality. Yeah, um, he had the wig, the long hair yeah. that he was doing at the time. Yeah. And then, uh, and he, and he still does it. And it's funny because I watched, a I watched a video recently where it's, a youth pastor and his son who's a teenager will watch rock videos and then give, and, and, and it's, a, it, he puts a lot of thought into it, but it's, it's very like, he gives his biblical, like, sure. This is, and they watch Judith for the first and like, you know, and the, the line of that, fuck your God, your Lord. And he's like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> we're going to have to talk about and, and to his credit. He wasn't like, this is awful. I, this is, you know, and they went into the whole history of where that song came from, but his son's like, I didn't know Maynard had long hair. I thought he was always bald. And I it like, I'll watch the video. I'm like, it's a wig. <laughs> Trust me, it's a wig. Yeah, I uh, saw them. Op- I saw them open for that tour too. And I remember I, I loved uh, Meridanum. Yeah, like, I love that album. I thought it was great. But Nine Inch Nails had these weird wooden cylinders on stage that would move, and they had the lights in them. And I was just like, oh, rather than having a whole bunch of props or like a backdrop you could actually like make the lighting rig your set yeah yeah and it was that and it was just right about that it was such a great band i don't remember who the drummer chris random might have still been the drummer at that point or maybe not but i know that it was danny loner was still in the band uh charlie claus was still in it um robin was there yeah um but it was yeah that was like i would that was the point where i was like oh this band can do anything they want to live. It's amazing. And that was when he was at his worst right. Say, in, right. in terms of addiction. Yeah. When he woke up in a Paris hospital and he didn't know where he was. Yeah. Cause he mistook heroin for cocaine or yeah. Heroin for cocaine. As you do. As you do. Yeah. You know, but that, yeah. that's uh shows you even at his worst, he's still better than 90% of the live acts out there. I, mean, right. I just fuck every time somebody is like, 
oh, Nine Inch Nails, and yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you should see them live. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's not my type of music. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You're like, no, you should see them live. Like, just to experience them live. You, This is something you should just experience. It's different than anything else you've ever felt. Sorry, yeah. I'm distracted by a plastic Carl Weathers. <laughs> How could you not be? I know. <laughs> um, do you have any other final thoughts on, on the Nine Inch Nails? No, I'll probably be listening to some Nine Inch Nails later today, though. Nice. Yeah, I think I've I think I've been inspired to go back and listen to a couple of the albums again. And then you could cap it all off with uh, Tori Amos's "Past the Mission." <laughs> <laughs> such a that was such a weird like because um, there, there was like a triptych of Tori Amos songs that had like were related to Nine Inch Nails, and I, I was just like. Oh, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you get Trent Reznor to sing on one of these right. songs? And so. he's so in the background going, pass the mission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying not to sound like Trent. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. I, uh, this was fun. Yeah, thank you. Let's yeah, do absolutely. it again. Sure.